The reading of the scriptures as we have it in Genesis 24, we'll be reading the entire chapter. Uh, may God give us grace both in the reading and the hearing of this chapter of Genesis. Genesis 24. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and to spoke, who spoke to me and swore to me, to you and your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden, whom no man had known, she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also. Until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, 
whom she bore to Nahor. She added, We have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, Come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels, and there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. And he said, Speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife or my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I'd finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her jar on her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord the God of my master Abraham, who led me in the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go. And let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. 
And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he said, and he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. They called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servants, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, O sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young woman arose and rode on the camels and followed them. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. That's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, Please join me again for a time of prayer. Father, thank you for your great love to us, and we worship you and thank you for all the benefits that have flowed to us through Christ, thy Son, for his work of redemption and the gifts of the Spirit. Thank you for preserving us and bringing us to this hour. We come with many needs. You know them. Minister to us as you see fit for your glory and our welfare. But we have come to hear you in the word. So bless this word to us this morning. Uh, your word forever firmly fixed in the heavens. Open our eyes to behold wonderful things in this word and move us to be doers of the word and not hearers only so that we may glorify Christ in all that we do. We ask this thing in his name. Amen. Thy will be done. Lord, hear our prayer. Two of the great themes of the scriptures converge here, namely God's providence and sovereignty over all the affairs of life, and our responsibility to walk by faith Uh, We're to be faithful, we're to trust God. Uh, Because of God's uh, sovereign grace, and because our understanding that comes from the Scriptures and His sovereign grace, that He will be faithful uh, to His promises. So our text is is the reality that a bride is provided for Isaac to secure the continuance of the promise uh, we, um, we will also study another major important theme in this text, and that is in the midst of uh, these great doctrines, um, there's always the tension uh, that 
there may be failure. I mean, Isaac is getting old. Uh, Abraham is very old, the text says. So what's going to happen to the promise? Uh, maybe, maybe the promises will fail. They will spin out of control. Uh, so in the midst of this tension and failure, we learn very clearly that uh, there's always uh, the actions of the Lord to secure success. So verses 1 to 9, uh, we have uh, succinctly Abraham acts by faith to secure generational succession of the promise. Uh, the text opens uh, with a great tension that uh, Abraham is old and Isaac is 40. Uh, not only is Isaac 40, he is single. Uh, how's there going to be a son of promise if Isaac is single. Uh, so we, we know from what has happened in the past that uh, the promise by natural generation requires a wife. It's also very subtly the reminder of the great mandate, fill the earth. How do you fill the earth? God creates a man and he creates out of the man a woman and brings the two of them together. And the two of them together are to fill the earth. Uh, by the way, I was reminded in reading this text that is a great rebuke to a very small minority in our culture who cannot fill the earth because of their perverted view of uh, filling the earth. But nevertheless, God's going to act. Uh, he's going to remind us the importance of marriage according to the biblical mandate. And uh, it's not only just marriage, it's marriage within the faith. So Abraham knows, I think, something that's very important for us to remember in the theology of Genesis. That's the failure of the sons of God in Genesis 6. The precursor to worldwide judgment of the flood. You recall very simply, the sons of God, those within the covenant, saw the daughters of men those outside the covenant, and they marry them. What results from that? Chaos. And such a chaos that God sends the flood. It's our reminder that we're to marry within the faith. Because the sons of God did the opposite, they create ruin. And so God begins to work, of course, uh, to start over. And the ultimate restart here in the book of Genesis is with Abraham. As you know, we study his life. He becomes very, very old, and Sarah is very, very old. How can they have sons? God's going to cause it to happen because God is the source of our success. So Abraham knows he must act, and so he commissions a trusted servant who is in the faith. Let's look very quickly. Chapter 24 and verses 3 and 4. I'll make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I live, but you shall go to my country and to my relatives and take a wife for my son Isaac. There's a tension here, isn't there? The servant is fearful of failing. But Abraham tells him that the Lord God who promised him will send his angel before him and give him success. 
failure, the promise of success. Verse 7, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying to your descendants, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. So we have heaven and earth merging here. Abraham tells his servant, the God of heaven will send his angel to go before you, and he will give you success. It's a very subtle promise, uh, I think, to all of us. Reminded of Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. All of us, uh, like Abraham and even Isaac, uh, struggle with this tension of failure. And then God breaks in his majesty these great promises before us. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And that angel will clear the way in the providence of God for success. So the servant must go, but God will go before him. Abraham is tested. All of us are going to be tested in our sojournings in this world. We're always having whispered in our ears, we're going to fail. But will God fail? Of course not. And as his sons, neither will we. So God's going to go before the servant of Abraham. And grace and the sovereignty and the providence of God is going to obviate the tension of failure. And the two are going to merge in a very beautiful way here. This constant tension of failure, and yet God in His grace is acting to provide a wife for Isaac. Verses 10 to 27, the servant goes in faith with gifts and prayer. God's going to answer that prayer, and correspondingly, the servant is going to answer God by worshiping Him. Who he takes gifts? To me, it's an illustration that God uses means. The gifts convey that the bride can feel secure as she goes to someone that she does not even know with the prospect of marriage. He also goes with a certain measure of common sense, doesn't he? That the women would come to the well to secure water. Uh, the other means of grace that's, I think, radically important here is prayer. Uh, look, at, look at verse 12. Again, Genesis chapter 24 and verse 12. O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show me loving kindness to my master Abraham. Again, the means of grace, prayer. Literally, the prayer in the Hebrew text is, God, make it happen, or cause it to occur, and have loyal love to my Lord, Abraham. It's a very prominent word. Chesed is the Hebrew word. God's loyal love to his sons. That God's going to be loyal to them in dealing with them and in affecting the promises that loyalty and our faithfulness go together. 
So the one to whom I ask for water, may she also provide for my camels. Notice the very important tension, I think, of timing and the possibility that the request could be denied. Servant could go to a woman and say, would you, would you give me water, provide water for my camels? I mean, she would have responded like many of us. Hey, buddy, get your own. You know, what are you to mean? There's a jar. You make it happen. God is intervening, isn't he? God is acting, clearing the way. And the promise of the angel, the angel of the Lord that will go before the servant. There's also an implicit appeal, I think, in the text. It's very important that she be kind and generous and hospitable to a stranger. I think because character matters. Character always matters. Before the prayer even ends, before the man even says amen in his prayer, verse 15, Rachel appears. Just, just by the luck of the draw, right? Just by chance. No, there is no chance. There is no luck. There is God. And that the fact that he dispatches his own servants to go before the servants of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. Seemingly at the right time, Rachel shows up. The servant watches her to see if this is God's provision. Now I want to remind you something that's very critical. Um, as you know, in the book of Genesis, uh, the canon of the scripture has uh, a long way to go before it's completed. Uh, you and I should not ask for signs because we have scripture. And uh, we have the majesty of God who proclaims his success to his servants in the scripture. Servant of Abraham doesn't have that. So he asks for a sign. I would also remind you of something else, and that is that our culture is descending very rapidly into rank paganism. Uh, when I used to go to work in Midwest City, I would drive by uh, the office of a fortune teller. People are seeking out fortune tellers. Uh, you can access them on your telephone. We don't go to fortune tellers. Our fortune is described for us in Holy Scripture. Reminded by a friend of mine yesterday, I went to visit. He's Christian. We have a moment of fellowship uh, watching a football game. And he reminded me something that I wasn't aware of, that the new generation seeks uh, to know something about their future in crystals. I don't know what the big deal with crystals. I don't know that God creates them. So I don't need to go to crystals to divine my future. I can go to God in the scriptures. So be very careful about signs. Go to the scriptures where God tells us about the majesty of his grace. And in the midst of all of the distresses of Abraham and Isaac and the servant of Abraham, God's going to unravel their tension of failure with the, sex, the success of his loyal love and his covenant. Furthermore, Rebecca is generous to him, and in turn, he is generous to her with sizable gifts. 
What's the deal with generosity? I think it's an important means. We should be generous with people. We should be generous with our children. Because it's a reminder that God in marvelous grace has lavished generosity upon us in Jesus Christ. A number of years ago, I I went down to the Oklahoma County Courthouse. I was trying to remember why I went there. I think it was to get a passport for uh, me and my bride, Barbara. And just so happened to be the the ancillary clerk uh, was also where you went to get marriage licenses. Well, you know, I, I enjoy watching people and couples would come in and apply for a marriage license and do whatever the clerk said and I don't know, maybe fill out paperwork and and uh, and then and then the clerk would say something to the effect as and the fee is I don't know, uh, let's say fifty dollars. The man would look to the wife, wife to be, and I thought this is interesting. Because she would reach into her purse to get the fee to pay the marriage license. I thought, there's something wrong here. I watched that happen like on two or three times. Is there something turned upside down? And I was reminded of great failure. That it's, it's to the man to take the initiative and to pay and to be generous. I mean, in this case, the servant gives her something like four ounces of gold. I mean, tabulate that in today's dollars, some $8,000 to provide, to remind her of his generosity. The servant asked him also in faith, because there always must be faith present. God is no automatic pilot in our lives. We walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, and God says yes to his prayer. And he responds by worshiping God. Notice, notice verse 27. Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness, his chesed, his loyal love to my master, his loyalty to my master, and his truth towards my master. And as for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. Truth and God's loyal love. Notice again, he says, the Lord has guided me. Uh, This verb is used a lot in the Scriptures, oftentimes in the difficult uh, circumstances. You and I are caught all the times in our lives in very difficult circumstances. Uh, Psalm 31.3. The psalmist says, For thou art my rock and my fortress for thy name's sake, and thou wilt lead me and guide me. Psalm 139. In verse 10. And then verses 23 and 24. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the seas, even there, David says, thou wilt lead me. In other words, David's saying, if I could go all over the creation, even there, in the remotest parts of the creation, even the depths of the sea, you will lead me. The psalm, as you know, ends, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. The hope of the Christian 
is that God leads us. God is our guide. Turn with me, if you would, to uh, Proverbs uh, chapter 6 and verse 22. Uh, the context is the commandments of the Lord, verse 20. Uh, to restate it, the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord that you and I have in the Scriptures. Now verse 22, when you walk about, they will guide you. Not fortune tellers. Not crystals. The Scriptures will guide us. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. You and I in this dark and confused and chaotic world have the light of the loyal love of God contained for us in Holy Scripture. We find its fullness of the blessings, of course, in the New Testament. John 16, 13, but when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. One of the more prominent texts for me is Romans chapter 8 and verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You know how the text ends? Very interesting. Uh, the text begins to break upon us. Uh, the context and the reality of suffering. In other words, the Spirit of God is to lead us through sufferings to the glory that's yet to be revealed to us in the heavenlies. It's going to lead us times of distress, times in which there's a possibility of failure. Lead us through the sufferings to the majesty of the glory of God yet to be revealed. That is our promise in the faith. The testimony of the servant is that God intervened to give him success because God is always loyal to his sons. It's true that we're to be responsible and use the means of grace. But the great reality that should comfort us is that the Lord does not leave us to wander about self-directed, which will end in failure. Servant's destination and the outcome really are predetermined by God. Yet unknown to the servant at the time, he was diligent to fulfill his oath and trust God in prayer for the outcome. And God gives him success because God is always our success. Such is the way that he deals with all of his sons. Verses 28 to 24, the servant discharges his duty before her family and they consent to the will of the Lord, causing the servant again to worship God. God intervening, the servant worshiping God, acknowledging God's grace, His providence, and the success that He gives. Uh, the servant gives a testimony of his actions and God's providence to Rebecca's family especially especially of divine engagement, that God has so engaged him to give him that success. Uh, look with me, if you would, again, Genesis 24 and verses 40. And he said to me, the Lord, bef 
before whom I have walked will send his angel with you to make your journey successful. And you will take a wife for my son from the relatives and from my father's house. And now skip down, if you would, to verse 48. And I bowed and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had guided me in the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for my son, for a son. So the servant asked the family to show Hesed to his master. God has shown loyal love to him. He asked him again for them to show the same to his master. The answer they respond, well, it's from the Lord, take her. Again, 51, behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go and let her be with the wife of your master's son for the Lord has spoken. Great reminder, the word of the Lord being fulfilled. The word of the Lord is always going to be fulfilled. It is providence. His decrees will always be met with success because such is the nature of the majesty of our God. Another reminder here, the servant worships the Lord and all of the blessings of the Thanksgiving season. We should worship the Lord accordingly because all that he bestows upon us because we are in his beloved son. He again displays generosity with gifts to the bride-to-be and family. I don't know why he does that. Perhaps because uh, he's going to take uh, her away with him and uh, deprive uh, her family of her service. Uh, nonetheless, it's a reminder of God's grace. Uh, we have here an example in the Old Testament, uh, something that occurs quite often, that is arranged marriages. Kind of rifles through us in a measure because we don't deal in such a way in our culture. Uh, not that necessarily wrong either way. I remember uh, when I was a student at Dallas Seminary, I, uh, I, I saw some students that were obviously foreign on the campus and uh, subsequently learned they were from India. And uh, because they appeared so lost and you know, didn't know what was going on, and I get that, new on campus in a strange country, a very strange culture to them, uh, I obviously befriended them and uh, showed them uh, measure of kindness, and uh, I remember one, one before uh, a summer, uh, I asked one of them, I said, uh, what are you going to do this summer? He said, well, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to my home country, India, and get married. And I said, get married? That's wonderful. I didn't know you were dating someone. He said, no, I'm, I'm not dating. My, my parents have arranged it. I said, oh, he, he reminded me of something. Uh, in our culture, uh, we get married to fall in love. Okay. Of course, in America, we, we court and fall in love and get married. Again, neither one is necessarily wrong. Uh, for the Christian, it must always be in the faith. But uh, think, of, think of the concept of that trust in the providence of God to bring things together in the majesty of it. And so we should worship God, and uh, we, should, we should be thankful, and we should give him the praise and the honor and the glory for the majesty of his gifts. And if some of you, like Isaac, are still single, to hope in the Lord. 
Because that's exactly what the servant of the Lord is teaching us. Hope in Him. Put your trust in Him. With the knowledge of the majesty of the providence and the sovereignty of God. However He acts, He will provide. The Lord will provide. And the Lord is always, always, because we are His sons, our success. And so we should worship Him and acknowledge Him. Regardless of our estate. Because He is our God. So again, measure of the uh, difference of uh, cultures uh, coming together, teaching us about God's providence. Verses 55 to 60, the uh, family of uh, the bride-to-be requests a delay. It's a tension, isn't there? There's always a tension. There's always tensions in life. Uh, the greater context, I think, of the book of Genesis is God is always testing. He tested Abraham. He tested Sarah. Now he's testing the servant. Servant testifies again that the Lord has prospered him. Literally caused him to succeed. I want you to understand the majesty of that context here. Verse, verse 56. He said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. Literally, literally God has caused me to succeed. He was behind it all. If you will, the chance meeting at the well. The chance concept that she would uh, answer my every request. But there is no chance. There is God. There's always for the sons of God, the presence of God, clearing the way, making things happen. His success is really God's. So he, he begs off the delay with a sense of urgency, and they leave the matter to Rebecca. What will she do? Again, another tension of failure. Notice her faith. She's willing to go on an unknown journey to an unknown man to an unknown land. She too has faith. Faith is everywhere a lesson here. Amidst of all the tensions and the possibility of failure in life that we are to walk by faith and not by sight. You and I as Christians will never ever graduate in this life from trusting God and using the means of securing His favor and blessing. Verses 61 to 67, Rebecca becomes Isaac's wife by God's providence. It's very interesting that uh, Isaac is, is in a place that's uh, familiar to us. Uh, namely, He's exactly in the place where God met Hagar in her distress. What was her distress? She's uh, kicked out of uh, the family uh, because she has a son that's not of the promise. Uh, she's thirsty and alone. And God provides for her and her son in common grace. In common grace provides a lesson that God provides. 
Isaac is in distress. What's his distress? He's 40 years old. What's Isaac know? I'm the son of promise. I'm supposed to have a son of promise to carry on the historic continuity of the Abrahamic covenant. But I'm single. He's wandering around, 40 years old. What's going to happen? And the caravan shows up. The majesty of God. We don't know the turmoil that's going on in his life. I suspect it was quite intense. God shows up. God's provision in Rebecca shows up. Of course, I understand. We, we always, in our lives, question God. I don't know how he's going to show up for you. I just know that God will always provide. Because God in His grace means that His provisions are always sufficient. Paul teaches us that. God's grace is sufficient. In whatever measure it's to be meted out to you, it's always sufficient. It's always enough for the exigencies of the time. But we know from the promise that there must be sons. And there must, in this case, be a wife. And the caravan shows up. By God's grace, the promise will not fail. Success is God's doing. The beauty is that all of the tension of failure in the human realm and the responsible use of means by human actors in trusting God come together. And the overarching element that superintends both is God's majestic sovereignty. The essence of His character. That God is King over all and is able to fulfill his every desire. Well, for you and me, there's always tensions in life. There's many unknowns. By faith, we must keep moving forward, if you will, walk by faith and not by sight. And look to the Lord to prosper us as He wills to do so. And to use the means of grace set before us. What stands out to me in this text is the prayers of the servant. Oh God, you must act. Oh God, you must make it happen. And then God makes it happen. And He worships God. He moves by faith. Abraham commends to him a great duty. He's fearful of uh, failing. uh, But he, he goes forward by faith and trusts God. And in every case, in the junction of tension of failure, God shows up in His majesty. And for us, that majesty is His love for His sons. His sons of promise. Greater reality, redemptively, when we move this theology into the New Testament, is that the greater promise is success to the Son of God and to all who are in Him. Sealing us as the sons of promise. So God gives success. And the outcome is never in doubt. And we're to walk uh, by faith, apprehending the means of grace. So the eternal Son of God has success, does He not? Uh, Reminds you of of, uh, the great uh, promise of the fourth servant song. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53.10 in particular. And 11. 
But the Lord was pleased to crush him. Remember I reminded you? God lies and God leads and guides through suffering. He crushes his only begotten son. The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself a guilt offering. And then the great promise, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Isaiah 53, 11, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many and he will bear their iniquity. The success of the eternal Son of God is absolutely magnificent in everything that it means. He was crushed for our iniquities. And by his righteousness, we are justified. And the many, and the many become sons. As you know, one of my favorite uh, Old Testament promises, Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, and everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. Not may be rescued. Will be rescued. There's absolute certainty of the promise of God rescuing all of his sons. And the context is great tribulation, suffering. But God will rescue them all and none will be lost. Cannot be lost because of the success of the eternal son, the majesty of God. We also know, great promise of Isaiah, the word will always have success. So shall my word be. It goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return into be void, but it shall accomplish everything that I purpose. God dispatches his word to go forth and to clear the way. You and I have the word written on our hearts as sons of the new covenant. It's a light unto our feet and lamp to our path. It will have success in our lives. It will secure exactly the success predestined by God. We should walk accordingly, of course. Because we are, we are by grace, the sons of God. We have a measure of that success from the words of the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely inspired for the destruction of fortresses, the evil fortresses of this world, and that we are to take every word captive for the glory of Christ, that God will destroy it all by his majestic word, and we have the weapons accordingly of our warfare. When we walk by faith, we don't go to the armory in our house or somewhere and draw out a a pistol or a rifle because we have the proper weapons to destroy spiritual fortresses, namely the word of the Lord. Divinely inspired for the destruction of the evil world in which we live. It's also, I think, important for us, radically important for us, to recognize that the promise of sons to Abraham accrue to us. 
if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, if you've acknowledged to Him that you were a sinner and repented and uh, trusted and hoped in Him uh, for the newness of life, uh, you are the fulfillment of that promise. The greater fulfillment. Not in natural generation, but in spiritual generation. Galatians chapter 4, verse 28. Paul says, and, and you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. Speaking to the church in Galatia, many Gentiles present, you are sons of the promise and heirs as well. So the promises to Abraham flow beautifully and majestically into the uplift plains of the majesty of the glory of God in the New Testament because of Christ who makes us sons of promise. And I do remind you, amidst of the tensions of uh, this life, that God will guide us and direct us in all of His blessings. Uh, oftentimes append uh, to correspondence, uh, very majestic verse to me, Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 and 6. And I close with this and all that it must mean to all of us who are the sons of promise by faith in Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make your paths straight. Straight. I might append straight to glory, straight to heaven, straight to the final resurrection, straight to the presence of God by grace.